Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In the market for investment worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry? Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking and wheeling, wheeling in the UK and beyond. I'm Adam Tranter. I'm Laura Laker. And I'm Ned Bolting. And this time we're talking to air pollution campaigner Jemima Hartson, founder of Mums for Lungs, which is an excellent title. Here's the context. Ten years ago today, nine-year-old Ella Adukisi Debra died following an asthma attack later becoming the first person in the UK to have air pollution listed as a cause of death. Now, Ella lived near the South Circular Road in Lewisham. In 2017, Jemima and a group of fellow mums on parental leave in South London decided to act after noticing how poor the air quality was as they walked with their babies. Research suggests kids experience 60% of their pollution exposure on their journey to and in school. Early exposure to air pollution increases the risk of asthma and lung infections and can be fatal. Ahead of the 2021 mayoral elections, Mums for Lungs, with Choked Up, which is a youth group, installed giant lungs on billboards across London after research revealed 47,500 children were attending schools on dangerously polluted main roads in the city. The lungs turned grey as pollutants accumulated on them. The group called for commitments on ULES, which London Mayor Sadiq Khan has at least taken on board. Since then, thanks in part to a growing clean air movement, London has developed 500 school streets. A ban on new petrol and diesel engines has been brought forward from 2040 to 2030. And a new, and not uncontroversial, ultra-low emission zone has been rolled out and is due to be expanded in August of this year, 2023, I think I'm right in saying. So, welcome Jemima. Welcome to Streets Ahead. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, it says here, Laura's written some notes, which I've been reading and trying to make them sound spontaneous, and so I know that I've done <laughs> all the research, so I know what I'm talking about. That's not the case, Laura does. But it says here, when Jemima is not campaigning for cleaner air, she's a lawyer. Now, that's not strictly speaking true, is it? So, Laura's the first bit of fake news from Laura. <laughs> but um, what's, the, what's the true story? The true story is that I was a lawyer. I was working as a juvenile prosecutor in Germany. I then worked in criminal defence NGOs in London and Brussels, and then I went on maternity leave for the first time in 2016, learned about air pollution while I was living in Brixton on a big road, and got really concerned. And when I talked with other parents about it, we decided that we wanted to see more action because we didn't think that there was enough action happening at any level of government. So we found at Mums for Lungs. Amazing. So are you originally from Germany? Well, I was born in London, born in London, grown up in Germany, and returned at thirty. Oh, you see, I'm quite. I get quite excited when I meet German people. I thought you yeah, would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, I just read um, Ned's book about football, and um, I discovered <laughs> that. 
<laughs> discovered that you, you lived in Germany and that's yeah. how you, that's where you got into football. But yeah, Things, and you speak yeah, German. Yeah, wo bist du denn her in Deutschland? Also, ich komme aus Hamburg. Aus Hamburg? Ja. Yeah. Noch besser. Also besser kann es gar nicht gehen. Ne? In welchem Stadtviertel? Also Altona? Ja, stehen wir erst. Ich habe in Ottensen gewohnt, bei Altona. Ottensen? So she comes from Ottensen, which is a very cool part of Hamburg. <laughs> oh. yeah. But it's not where my parents live and not where I grew up, so... But that's where I lived as a student. Obviously. I remember, so I'll hand over to the experts in a second, but I remember, so I lived in Hamburg in the early 90s, just after Wiedervereinigung, yeah. reunification, it was a very interesting time. But I do remember that I'd be walking through places like the Shanson Park in the Shanson Viertel, and I think that's the first place I ever saw one. There was this kind of box in the park, which had a sign on it that said something like Umweltmessgeräte or something like that, which literally means kind of environmental measuring systems in place. And I think that Germany were kind of way ahead of what we were doing back then. This is a long time ago, it's 30 years ago, in terms of measuring air quality. Obviously, you're much younger than I am. But do you, to the best of your knowledge, do you think that Germany kind of stole a march and was thinking about these things and that we in the UK are quite late adopters as it's come to terms with this? That's a really interesting question. I'm not sure, actually, because I have to admit that I wasn't thinking that much about air quality and air pollution in the 90s when I was, you know, in my 10s, teens. But I do know that my grandmother, for example, was always on about not driving and always talking about cycling all the time. And when I was five or so, my mum didn't have a car for a while as well. And then always was a thing that we would cycle wherever we go. And that was sort of very common for us. And, you know, there's a huge movement called Fridays for Future, all about the climate in Germany, which I think is bigger than the UK. And I think... There's also other things in the context of air pollution and about Dieselgate, which I'm sure everyone remembers, mm. which is really interesting because all these diesels that were produced, diesel cars, were sold to people with cheating devices and were emitting much higher levels mm -hmm. of air pollution than they should have. Volkswagen were the big sinners in that, weren't big they? Big one, yeah. but they all did it. Mm. Yeah, They sure. all did it. And in Germany, they had to pay, I'm not joking, billions in fines. Yeah. And that money was then used to do things for against air pollution to actually clean up the air. Whereas in the UK, there's not been any action. And in the US, what they did is people went to prison for being involved in this kind of cheating behavior as managers in Volkswagen and other companies. But in the UK, I think, I mean, I'm not even sure if they got a slap on the wrist. Mm. And I find that always really frustrating. Once the knowledge was out there that this was happening, in Germany, they were told they would have to pay a huge fine and they just did it, never went to court. They just wanted it to go away by paying 900 million euros and more. Mm. <clears throat> wow, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think sometimes there's a an argument that, oh, if we punish businesses, that they won't they want to do business in our country. But actually, it's, I don't know, it's interesting to see how different countries tackle it and how not everyone takes this viewpoint. Yeah. Mm. So Mangtulungs has been going for six years now, roughly. Can you... For people who aren't aware, I'm sure probably everyone's heard of you, but could you sort of talk us through your journey from where you started to where you are now? Because you've had quite a big impact, I think, haven't you? I mean, as we said in the intro. Well, I hope so, because, you know, it's been a lot of work. When we started almost six years ago, there would be as many parents as babies in the womb or in my garden. And, you know, there was one meeting where we made all these plans and there was a paddling pool. I think four babies in it. I ate ice creams in it. It was absolutely gross. And we still sat there. <laughs> planning how we wanted, you know, wanted to campaign and make councils listen to us. And we started with Lambeth, which, you know, has the notorious Brixton Road. And then there was these consultation going on for the ULES expansion. All these things were happening, London Environmental Strategy, Mayor's Transport Strategy. And we just responded to those and asked everyone we knew to respond as well with sort of our views, sort of, you know, having looked at it in detail. And it was just... Interesting, within a few months we were invited to meet people from City Hall and have a chat with them because I think they saw that we had strong views and were going to make other people listen how and where we could. And yeah, we've been going from there. So, you know, we sort of work on three levels. One is raising awareness amongst anyone who will broadly listen and we've done stalls and community markets and other markets and we'll go on any panel and any podcast, thank you so much for having me. Um, we can Literally any podcast. <laughs> I didn't mean that. Um, but, you know, we sort of really try to get the word out. Then we try to 
influence policymakers by doing big campaigns with like click to emails and how do you call them again? Click Twitter, Twitter, you know, these hours when you get something trending. Twitter, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Of me. I can't think you of the word. You take over like an hour and, yeah, and people join on for that hour. That and kind engage, of yeah. stuff. And, you know, we try to create campaigns that are visible and are for media as well. And then obviously amongst all the people we're raising awareness, we hope that people will join us and then again go out, raise more awareness as well as going up and doing more policy lobbying. So that's what we've been doing over the past six years. And by now I'm, I'm quite proud because we've actually got a bit of funding and there's five women of it's us. More than we've got. <laughs> there's oh, five of us working, working part-time. So Wow. wow. That's definitely more than we've got. But it's, it's properly part-time, right? Yeah, Most yeah. of us have two days a week and stuff like that. But there's five yeah. of us and we've just hired a wonderful lady in Manchester. So Andy Burnham, better watch out. I guess one of the first things you had to do when you kind of like hit upon this need, which essentially I guess it was born from a need, wasn't it? Yes. You'd identified this problem and kind of thought, well, how, what can we do about it? One of the first things you had to do was gather data and evidence. Because without that, you're just, it's an opinion, isn't it? Yeah. Um, how, was that a significant hurdle at the beginning? And how did you kind of resource that? And kind of what did you achieve? I mean, at that point, and for quite a few years, we were all volunteers. And we just read when we could. The data is all out there. Is it? It's really clear and has been very clear for many years. Air pollution harms health. Air pollution at the level that London experiences stunts lung growth in children by up to 14%. We have huge asthma rates in children that are clearly linked to air pollution in London. We know that very, very many illnesses are linked to it. And that data is all out there by amazing researchers and health professionals. So we were just reading about it when we could on our phones while breastfeeding and, you know, in baby groups, just reading to understand mm. how strong the evidence was and what needed to be done. Do you, I've always thought air pollution is, is going to be one of these incredible things that we look back on as a human race and, and kind of go, how did we possibly think that it was a good idea to put children outside the school gates at the same height as exhaust fumes and think that was totally societally normal. I guess there's two questions that come from that. One is, now that you understand it because you've done all this research and really campaigned and worked with the people, can you go about your normal life without kind of, because you can't unsee it, can you? Once Because that's the thing with air pollution, you can't see it. So once you realise that it's there, you know, it really... Well, I find it plays in my head. And then secondly, I guess, uh, is one of the big issues is that this is so difficult for people to comprehend and understand. Or do you think that we are, as a society, just sort of trying to pretend it doesn't exist in the in the way? Because you see that the ULEZ stuff, it's the discussion, the narratives on there is is not a discussion that comes from the majority of people understanding that we need clean air. So if I, your first question about going about a normal life, well, it's in my mind all the time. Mm. And it's heartbreaking for me to hear that my six-year-old, my children are six and three years old. My six-year-old will say when we cross a busy road or something, let's walk quickly because it's so polluted here. And, mm. I, you know, and then he'll say, oh, mommy, I held my breath and we walked past that car. And it's really scary. And I do think about these things. And when there is high or medium pollution alerts in London, which especially in the winter or when it's very warm, happens quite frequently, we will alter our behaviour. And I had, we will not go near big roads. And I had my kid in a sort of kid's ball class. And then I realised it was near to the self-circular. So I pulled him out of the class. I wouldn't have him there. And I've, you know, put up ivy and things like that at my kids school with some other parents because we just want them a bit away further away from the the road which is not too busy to be frank I think the issue about it being difficult I think I don't think air pollution is actually that difficult obviously there's a million things of air pollution and you can always dig deeper and just get worried and say oh my god you know a new sofa has VOCs and things like that that's harmful too but if you focus on the sort of biggest sources of air pollution, which in places like London are diesel cars, road transport and wood burning, I think in a way it breaks it down. And then mm. you have two things, really, transport and wood burning to be aware of. Mm. And the VOCs are the volatile organic compounds, which are harmful to health. I can't remember yeah, how. I mean, there's a million things, you indoor know, air I mean, yeah, indoor air pollution as well. But if you're near a road and in London, most people are near a road, if the air outside is bad 
like you will always have bad air inside. You know what I mean? You open the window. You yeah. air indoors is never going to be better inside than outside unless you have a air purifier. Mm. Mm. The we just came back to the kind of conversation we had at the start around Dieselgate. It, uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this because a lot of people when they think about air quality, they think of NOx and they think of the kind of the um, poisonous fumes that are kind of most easy to understand. But less is known or less is talked about at least about particulate matter, which is quite scary because in hindsight, the rush to diesel vehicles was a mistake. And I, I happen to sort of can't stop thinking about the fact that the rush to electric vehicles might also be the same mistake because of the particulate matters which are potentially what, hands up in the corner yeah. what the hell is a particulate well particular so matter? often coming from road wear brake wear and tire wear so the micro rubbers and really tiny yeah. particles yeah. that and can the get into electric your vehicles cells. are yeah. very the, yeah. the more some some of those particulate matters um, but i thought this was from. a problem more for water pollution and that you know no, that these particulates no. would be washed down the drains they're actually going mm-hmm. up into the air as well yes right into your so brain fine. right yeah. into your brain yeah yeah this is a cheerful episode isn't mm. it <laughs> so yes a pm 2.5 or smaller is it, are these tiny tiny particles that are so small that we just breathe them in and our lungs should be the filter filtration system for our bodies. But these particles are so small, they will surpass our lungs, go into the bloodstream, and they have been found in brains and placentas, Mm. and obviously they cause inflammation, right? It's not meant to be there. We're not meant to have random soot and (coughs) plastic shit in our brains, Mm. right? Or anywhere else. I wonder why I bothered giving up smoking all those years ago. I might as well just start again. Can't be worse than this. Ned's got had his well, head in his hands for the last couple of years. Well, it's just, like yeah, you say, no, it's, it's incredibly yeah. terrifying, it's, isn't it? Yeah, but it is really dangerous. And I think there is a huge problem that we need to think about, right, with the rush to EVs. Are they quantifiably, uh, do electric vehicles quantifiably produce more of these things? They tend to it's, be heavier, don't yeah, they? Yeah, although it's, it's a, a bit unclear the, yeah, a bit if they're unclear. worse than other cars because then there's arguments about the different kinds of... Mm brakes they use Mm. so this seems to be Mm. i think the ultimate verdict still seems to be out whether they're worse or as bad as other cars but i think there is absolutely also now no doubt that we need to reduce particulate matter in our cities yeah particulate matters across the country exceed what the who recommends as level top levels of air pollution so they need to go down and i think with the ev discussion yes i mean i think there's quite a few arguments to really be careful if you're replacing a car to replace it with another car or you know really everyone needs to think about alternatives because number one particulate matter you know will still remain high number two the climate impact of building an ev Mm. is basically about a third of the carbon CO2 in tons each person mm. in the UK has left if we want to think about 1.5 degrees and an equitable distribution of CO2. And number three is that I think the real problem is that every car on the road, as I'm sure you've touched on in very many of your episodes already, every car on the road might be the one car that is so much that some mother, some kid, some parent, some elderly person or anyone else who might find the roads too dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we cannot have a one-to-one conversion in numbers in cars just to a different method. And yet that's precisely where policymakers will want us to go, right? I mean, Some do, yeah. Some well, I mean, yeah. you've yeah, got the people in charge. It's the, yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's still kind of the driving belief, the driving belief. Yes. Yeah. A lot of policymakers do sit, still think replace a car with a car because this is how mm. we get around. We get around by car, and it's, it, it's people don't really see alternatives. So I think really people just need to un- just need to understand mm. the bit about air pollution, and I do think we need to be in our comms. And you know, I'm looking at governments at all levels here much clearer. I think what has changed in the last six years of me campaigning, I have seen that people understand that cars are per se polluting. Mm. That used to be something that was disputed six years ago. But I don't see that people really understand that driving for a short distance because it's raining or whatever else has a direct impact on someone else's lung. It sort of still feels like it's some kind of abstract pollution or so so tiny amounts of pollution that almost like it's not worth not doing your trip. And I think that really 
we need to really work on that understanding that people really get it, that every trip they can't do is a good one. Every time someone gets into a car, they need to think, is this necessary today to go there? And if so, how can I make it the least polluting, combining it with other trips I have planned for the rest of the week? Yeah. Can I ask, I've been struck recently by, on social media, I'm kind of, I'm quite interested in following the opinions of people who don't naturally align with my values. So I'm quite interested in, well, keeping an open mind, I guess. And a lot of sort of campaigners who are very opposed to, for example, low traffic neighbourhoods and the expansion of the ULEZ scheme, they tend to kind of fall into the same category of activist, have been recently citing (laughs) with a certain degree of glee, but it did make me stop and think, studies that the air quality on the London Underground is atrocious. Yeah, it is. And it is. And I mean, in my opinion, that is kind of, uh, to a certain extent, whataboutery, you know, because uh, they are using that evidence, which is very serious evidence, as a kind of, so leave us alone as motorists sort of thing, which is logically... I kind of wonder where that pollution's come from, though, because, I mean, the underground, you can imagine all these particulates sinking down through the vents, the air vents on the underground and kind of ending up there from the... I don't know where it comes from. It's metal. It's particulate matter. And it's everything we Mm. shed in there. Like, I mean, it's also... The Mm. pollution will also be like tiny little bits of hair and rubbish we all carry down. Is there a solution to that? I don't know the details of the technicalities of the pollution reduction in the underground I presume it would be big filters or things like that but I think you would need huge huge filters but I and you know power whatever things down there to change it but I think what we need to keep in context is that what is on the underground is what you're exposed to when you go down there you drive for a bit in the tube you go up again and then you're no longer exposed to it but that what we have on our roads is what everyone is exposed to who's walking. And no matter how people travel, everyone is also a pedestrian, right? Or Mm. a sort of person using pavement, whatever. So we're all exposed to it there. And then what is going out on the roads is what goes into our windows. Mm. So Mm. I think that is why we need to focus on... The air pollution and it gets trapped on in our, our home. It tr- gets trapped in our home. Well, it can get sort trapped of. in our cars. There's situations where your car can be the most polluted place you can yeah. sort of find as well. Mm. But yes, we can't have unpolluted homes with as long as we have polluted roads. Yeah, and and I I also kind of picked up on the fact that a lot of the um and again this is kind of like it goes back to technological improvements so you know or advances so the electric car may seem to solve some problems and create other ones in a similar way I, as i understand it um new build houses that are built to a high environmental specification with very very strong high levels of insulation for all the right reasons also like paradoxically are not remotely porous and they'll trap all your bad air i in your I house. saw some i saw this not not that but i saw a Which, article from when Houses were like from a very early newspaper, yeah, saying that houses were being built purposely as drafty to yeah. allow the the air to to yeah. escape. So I think it was it my was, house is like that. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely <laughs> freezing. But yeah, purposefully drafty yeah. so that the air could leave and circulate because the heating systems, the kind of gas that they used, was known to be quite dangerous. Yeah. So yeah, it's it, it's sort of once you start. This is why I struggle with this topic. Uh, mm. Not. You know, I think about it more than most people, but I can see from your facial expression there, like your head in your hands and like, you know, this well, kind of thing. Once you see it, once you know it's there, you kind of like start exploring every part of your life and and it kind of grabs you in a way that you're like, why is not ever, why, why is there not? I always used to think on the Euston Road, there's a big air pollution monitor sensor outside the University of Westminster. And I had this idea for a PR stunt once that I thought that whenever it reached over the legal limits, there should be a flashing light and sirens that will not go off oh until God, it goes underneath the legal limit. I thought maybe then would people would take it yeah. seriously. But yeah. The, but yeah, the fact is, the more you think about it, it just totally consume you. That's a bit, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just having a bit of a self-moment here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just struggling with it. And it's with so it. easy to ignore it as well. I mean, um, 
I've taken to, um, you might, as you probably know, to asking people to switch off their engines. Most of the time, people just aren't aware. They're just, mm. you know, people are going about their day. Oh, you think, one of, are you one of them? Yeah, I can't help myself. Tapping on the windows. Yeah, I can, I that's me. The there was that, someone the other day right outside of school and I was cycling past and I was like, oh no, I'm going to have to do a little U-turn. And I pulled up alongside his window. I was like, excuse me, mate. I think if you call people mate or love, it kind of makes it easier. They, they seem to respond better. But he was literally was like, it was break time. So the kids are outside playing and he sat beside the fence in the car with his diesel engine idling. But yeah, I just, I think that most of the time people just don't realise. Um, I saw some police officers in a police car just charging their phones, idling in a, in a I think BMW there's something estate. about a police Would car. Would you do that to the Metropolitan Police? Would you just pop through those <laughs> and make your engines I think running? I, certain systems in the car don't work unless we're in police cars, unless oh, okay. the so engine's running. Yeah. yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, I think but, this is a thing. Yeah, but charging the phones is sort of a different one. And yeah. Well, maybe they'll be doing people other police stuff as well yeah. as charging <laughs> their <laughs> 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 yeah, People don't realise. But I think that's why Mums for Lung's been so powerful mm. is is that once you start, and I was listening to a podcast the other day, yesterday I think it was, about conflict and about how it's so easy to get into our boxes on this and, you know, Ned, you try and listen to people, different people's opinions, which I think is really important, but it's very easy to think, oh, well, that's them, the people who, who don't want the expansion, want, you know, it's selfish and obviously there's people who don't live near a tube station or they think they can't afford to replace their car and there's, and there's mm. reasons. But I think that what can kind of override all of these you versus me kind of arguments is that actually this is about children's health and it's about older people's health as well. But I think there's something about tapping into our relationships. And this is what the podcast was talking about. You know, who we are outside of this argument is very, very powerful. Most of us know kids mm. or are parents and and we just don't want to see yeah. people that we love and, and people who are vulnerable, children suffering and growing up with sort of stunted lungs. And I think that's why Mums for Lungs partly has been so powerful because it, it sort of overrides all of this factional element to, to debate. Yes, I think that is right. And I mean, that is really very much what we're about. All of us who are involved in campaigning, the many volunteers we have who support us and us who are now working in this capacity, we are all just people who care about children and people's health. Like none of us have a background in anything related to air pollution, frankly. We've gotten all the knowledge by just reading about it like mad people and looking at the evidence. But it's not us coming in there with a background. We're not supported in any way by any kind of healthcare professionals or people trying to do anything else than just wanting to raise awareness of the issue of air pollution and what impact it has on health. And I think that really helps. How are you funded, actually? You said, you, you know, you employ five people. Or so, you know, where, yeah, so where does we your get funding come from? From philanthropic organisations. Oh. oh, OK. okay. Who funds you? Who funds you? Darks. <laughs> yeah. No, European Network. Climate Foundation and yeah. um, um, boring, Impact on yeah, okay. Urban Health. But, OK. Not particularly controversial. Um, So given my despair and my head in the hands feeling Mm. that you share, Adam, a little Mm. bit of kind of like, you feel cornered, don't you? Because you look over there and there's air pollution. You look over there, it might even be worse there. There's the Mm. underground. And it feels kind of like an omni-shambles of kind of like, Mm. where do you begin? Is that the relationship that you've just flagged up with children and the harm it does to children, is that the best starting point? So you've got to start somewhere. So where are the kids? Where do kids, where are they exposed Mm. Well, Would that be a good way of kind of, and that's very much how you got into it and what you yeah. guys represent, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so, and there was a really strong report by UNICEF UK a few years ago that was called the toxic school run. It really highlighted that children are exposed to huge, huge levels of air pollution on the school run and on the school gates. So we've been campaigning a lot for school streets, which is a scheme whereby the roads are closed for through traffic at yep. drop-off and pick-up times. But digging into the detail more deeply, we found that across London, and apparently I think even across England, 25% of all rush hour traffic is parents on the school drive. Yeah. Yeah. And that is really quite shocking. It is shocking, especially in London. Especially in London, because in London, generally the catchment areas are so small that people should be able to work and uh, walk, of course. And I think a lot of people at least in sort of my area, a lot of people are working from home now. So in a way, you've saved a bit of commuting time Mm -hmm. anyway, which I always think you couldn't invest that better than Mm -hmm. walking your kids to school, right? You just have to Mm -hmm. get back home and then walk, work, 
work walk. Work and walk, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that is something we really want to raise awareness of. And we did a campaign sort of across December and January a little bit, and we need to ramp it up for this year to encourage parents to think about where they're actually sending their kids to school. Which school are you applying to? Like, what are the factors? Because people look at Ofsted reports and they will think about perhaps do they like the premises and stuff. But if you are either forced to have your kids in the back of a huge metal box every morning, which none of you are really going to enjoy, or if you are forced to walk quite a long bit on the main road, which is utterly depressing, polluted, impossible to talk because it's so noisy, then that might actually not be the best or the most healthy choice. So we really want to encourage people to think mm. about that as well and think about where you have options. And in London, many people do have options and could choose a school that is, you know, maybe definitely s- accessible. Maybe schools should have like uh, graded for their kind of uh, yeah. air quality. Part of the offset well, yeah. You know, like I've emailed Ofsted. No, it, oh, it should be. It is, I have emailed Ofsted repeatedly. They never respond to me. Mm. Anyone has? Well, that would include. So the coefficient could include the numbers of kids who are driven to school versus you know, and and what the air quality is well, like in yeah. and around the school. Be yes. Interesting. Yeah, in Birmingham, they've given every, or they're in the process of every school in Birmingham having an air quality monitor, not super high tech one, but yeah. like one that's good enough to sort of know yeah. what's what. So. Yeah. I think it's yeah, it's 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 really interesting when people are empowered with yeah. the information. Obviously, there's a lot of conflict at the moment. I was listening to the same podcast that Laura because she sent it to me and, and and about having discussions and debates and how that's kind of you can have good conflict and you can have high conflict, which is basically just people sh- shouting at each other based on their kind of own culture war style view. With you, Les, it seems that there's, you know, some of the media is pitching it as as effectively you're a hardworking motorist and that's the issue or you're just sort of, you know, some sort of eco-maniac or, you know, that hates cars. When it comes to a local level, though, I'm really, because I, I think that's all sort of hyperbole, but when it comes to a local level, some of the stuff you're saying, like about school streets and, and maybe there's parents idling outside the school in a real local area do you find it that everyone gets this because not everyone can get it i'm sure so i'm thinking you're you know are there mums that aren't for lungs you know people that are saying well no actually who are you to tell me what to do i'll because people get quite def- i've you know people you ask to turn mm. off their engines not, doesn't always pe- go well people, people, people <laughs> are super, super protective super protective about that but it's such a compelling argument why they should change but I'm just wondering in your local area when you were doing the really early advocacy stuff, whether there are people that are just like, leave me alone. I mean, someone once told me if I continued talking to him, he would like put me in the back of his car in the boot. Christ. But wow. um, I have since not approached anyone idling after, let's say, 9.30 in the evening. I just don't do it because yeah. Yeah. it unple- can be unpleasant. I think it really varies. I think in theory, everyone I know sort of understands and gets it. So if I'm at the school gate and we will stand in a queue, someone will come by and say, oh, God, Jemima, you're here. I feel terrible. I drove in my car mm. today. And <laughs> just, it, your, just your sheer silent presence I know, just your is presence. to elicit a guilty but, response. Get like air freshness with Jemima's face on it. Just always remind her, like, hanging off your dash. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah, That's a great idea. <laughs> Um, She's judging you silently. I think it's a bit more mixed. I think what we really need to understand and appreciate is that it's really difficult even in London to travel in other ways with young children. Yes. Mm. It's not a child-friendly city, no. is it? That's and what I'm thinking about school streets particularly because they're kind of a blunt instrument to an extent with you can't drive here now. There must be parents are like, you know, like we hear with some of the mitigations when people are like I don't support this it's gonna say look it's really hard for me you know like, I have to travel this journey there aren't that many options and do you get put into conflict with I guess yes, people who yeah. and people struggle to get somewhere on time especially if you have more children or if the distance is further or I really understand all the people who say they don't want to cycle I only started cycling in London in the pandemic and I cycled eight months pregnant in Brussels right like I was never scared I've cycled <laughs> to court when I was a prosecutor and I cycled home from nightclubs. I was always on a bike and my grandmother is 90 and on a bike. But um, it's a trike, it's an electric trike, but she's still on a bike. But that's in Germany where you have much less cars in Hamburg. 
and much better protected bike lanes, which are always raised because they're part of the pavement and things like that. Mm. So I really understand when people say, I don't know how else to travel in an easy way. So I think the conflict is really great. And that is why I think it is so critical that we make sure there is not a one-to-one replacement of every car with an EV, but really find alternatives where we significantly reduce the numbers of cars on the roads, plus even standing in London, plus the numbers of cars driving. Because I started cycling with my daughter on my bike, who was just turned two, and she was in the front seat. And my son was on his own bike. He's a very petite boy. And he was just under four. And I couldn't see him most of the time because I'm not very tall myself. So he'd be on the pavement, just having learned cycling. And I was cycling on the road with a small kid and I was like what the hell I can't yeah, that actually doesn't sound unstressful him. that sounds pretty like, stressful you know what I mean like I, every, yeah. every because there's all these cars parked and I just yeah. can't and you're doing the right thing you're mm. doing the thing that we need everybody almost yeah. everybody to be doing yeah, yeah so I think so you know that really needs to change that so becomes much easier much healthier I think a real problem is also the lack of easy and normal bike storage. Mm. Like in Germany, wherever you go, like every pharmacy, every shop will have a bike stand yeah. out there that you lock your bike to. It's complete standard. Here people are like, oh, there's the shop. Where's a lamppost? I can actually fit my bike yeah. around. And the more expensive a bike gets by being a cargo bike, you're then like, where can I store it? Whereas in Germany, that is, you know, just much more common and thereby you have much better alternatives between cars and buses and walking it just feels like the uk or london it's and i think it's much worse outside of london it's pretty restricted Mm. so just coming to um the kind of because i think with these kind of conversations you need to give people hope Hope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and um and and give people something that they can do and I, i i remember a friend of my wife's asking for designs for leaflets that we printed off and distributed our local school. I didn't live in London, but the leaflets were obviously super relevant. What are the things people can do in London, but also importantly, because we get told off for being too London-centric? And you do have branches outside of London as well, don't you now? So, yeah. So, firstly, I would invite and encourage everyone to get in touch. We're very happy to support anyone with campaigning advice or ideas. Then we have loads of flyers, which are for London or not for London, including idling flyers. I should have bought Mm. a pack for Laura um, that (laughs) you can just hand to people because then you don't even have to say anything. You smile at them. They think you're going to give them a voucher or something. And then you (laughs) hand them a flyer and you just say bye and just walk off. And that, in my experience, has always worked. Mm. And because you're not confronting, you're just giving them a flyer. So we have flyers on air pollution, on idling, on school streets. We provide loads of resources. We provide advice and we would really encourage people to think about how they travel and how they get deliveries. Because every delivery that doesn't come into your own road, but you pick up somewhere else, is pollution that doesn't come into your own road. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because that's, again, a, a topic that has not quite made it into the public consciousness. I know like from a policymaking point of view, people are talking about consolidation centres mm-hmm. and last mile cargo deliveries but there's something people can do right now which is go and get their parcels from the shop yeah and i quite like that you then literally don't have the pollution of that car in your own road and also it is overall a reduction right because it's these small trips these many many small trips that cars do in and out back and forth for an individual parcel that is just so unnecessary and you can select to have stuff I, I try not to have stuff delivered but um you can have stuff delivered to kind of shops or exactly yeah, yeah instead the of corner yeah amazon hubs and all of these things mm. exist quite a lot just as we come to the end just thought i'd throw in a nice little like topic like you les because that's uh, an easy a nice little to, topic to, yeah to solve but <laughs> i guess it's we should not underestimate how much you know if that goes ahead as planned how much of a a bold move and how much of a success that is but tell me a little bit about I guess the flaws of ULES as well because it is a bit of a blunt blunt instrument and it covers quite a small number of vehicles you have to be as a campaigner and you know working as a campaigner in a sort of slightly different but same space and I know you have to take the wins because 
Otherwise, it's exhausting. Otherwise, there's nothing. <laughs> and there's nothing. But I'm sure you probably want it to go further, faster, because there's no good level of air no. pollution, right? So the ULES expansion to all of London in August will mean that the oldest and the most polluting cars will be charged if driven anywhere in London. So that is exciting because it will mean that the oldest, most polluting diesels owners are going to be really encouraged to get a different car or to drive less. But I think the real problem... Of course, they would argue not encouraged, forced. Forced, okay. And, and they would also argue that they are the very people who can least afford to upgrade and get a new vehicle. I think... But that was, I'm sure, yes. what they, they would say. Yeah. Well, fair and, I mean, <clears throat> yes, of course they say that. There is a diesel scrappage scheme or a scrappage scheme for people with certain benefits and other things like that which is good, but I do agree that this is a blunt instrument. And yeah, uh, apologies, is, I cut you off no, in your flow there. No, anyway, but, but it's really, yeah. it feels really difficult that then people who own a huge 4x4 that is newer and incredibly polluting and incredibly big and a huge, huge danger mm. to road safety is considered compliant and is mm -hmm. not charged by driving around. So, you know, I like to think in an ideal world, we would link, obviously, the way people are charged for driving to their income, to the size of their car, to the value of their car, to the emissions, of course, that should have been the first one, and to what other alternatives they have in using other kinds of transport. But then I guess we are coming close to road user charging, which is not what you asked me about, mm. but the ULES. But I think that is exactly the problem. So problems with the ULES is that it's blunt, that it is allowing still far too many cars to car drivers to be driving without being disincentivized mm. or discouraged from driving. And that the other problem is that while the majority of people with asthma actually still live in outer London, so don't yet have an ULES and are hopefully going to be strongly, positively affected by the ULES being expanded, the most polluted air remains in central London. All of London is toxically polluted, but the worst is still in the centre. So for me, the real question is, what is next after ULES? Because ULES in all of London, cannot be the end of our journey towards clean air. But what about stuff like the cities in Europe and across the world, which once pollution reaches a certain level, ration car use, but 50% of the cars can travel today and 50% yeah, tomorrow in mm. Paris. Paris yeah. uh, we're a million miles away from that in London, aren't well, we, politically? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think my understanding is yep. that the mayor yeah. is not yep. able to do that, that he doesn't have the powers to do that. But yes, it's something that I've been talking about. He doesn't have the legal for five powers. Years. Yeah, he doesn't have the legal than, powers. Or, nor the political powers, I would imagine. I, I understand he doesn't have the legal powers. Yeah. But I think, the, you know, there is no question. Much more needs to happen. Diesel has got to go as a first, first thing and needs to go much sooner. And we need to make sure that perhaps central London becomes a zero emission zone. I don't quite know what the right things are because I don't have the technical expertise. But what is really clear is that the air is so polluted and one of the main contributors are is road transport, in particular diesel vehicles. And we need to do something to clean that up really quickly. And it's not just London either, is it? Most, no. most of the country yeah. is quite badly... I mean, yeah. a lot of the country the is most very badly polluted, polluted. The most polluted road in the UK is now in Manchester. Mm. Manchester is as polluted and many other, like, all major towns and cities are very, mm. very polluted. And they had a battle with a low emission zone and failed to well, implement it, didn't yeah, they? It's yeah, been a, it's, been a, it's been um, really disappointing from a clean air campaigner perspective what's been going on in Manchester and that's partly why we're starting to get yeah. working there. But a lot of towns and cities around the UK are introducing low emission zones. The, the government's been legally charged with too much air pollution. It's um, not compliant with um, legal limits and so these measures have had to be introduced legally and so there is there are changes happening and some councils are introducing parking permits you have to pay more if you've got a more polluting vehicle and so there are kind of pockets of good practice happening but there yeah. does it does seem to have been politicized and culture warified and, and there do need to be other alternatives i think for people who who can't change their vehicle or you, you know you need you yeah. need to give people alternatives i mean i think the some of the fights that are happening right now around the ulez um seem to be 
very closely linked to local elections happening in May in mm. outside of London in the home counties. And I do think that that is probably spurring on the fight around the ULEZ mm. just to sort of distract from perhaps other political parties and decisions that are not going so well. Yeah. And there's a clean air bill going through the House of Commons at the moment, isn't there, that comes from the House of Lords. So Yes, but it's a very difficult process. So the way it goes, it will only... It would, could only get any kind of power or impact if government decides they want to do that. And they've actually sort of, in a way, just done the opposite. So there was a big consultation going on since the summer about clean air targets for this country. And the government has decided that there will be no new clean air targets that need to be reached until 2040. And they wow. have decided that the targets that have to be achieved by 2040 are those targets that in 2005, so 35 years earlier, the World Health Organization declared to be the targets that every town and city and country should be striving towards. And that was declared now. So in, just before Christmas, this was sort of dropped as a, as a bit dropped in. But in the meanwhile, actually, the World Health Organization has slashed the targets. So they have said out of all the targets that they had declared in 2005 that because of the huge evidence that much lower levels of air pollution are much more harmful, these targets were completely outdated and completely revised to much, much lower. And our government is not even looking at those. So the outdated targets are not going to be compulsory until 2040. It's it's absolutely atrocious. I saw a, um, a blog today um, from a clean air campaigner and I think the big issue and she was saying that almost all schools, like 99.8% of schools and colleges in the UK are now surrounded by unsafe levels of air pollution according to this new standard by the WHO. So yeah. I thought that was going to be a good news story, the clean air bill, but... <laughs> no. I'm sorry, sorry about that. We know we need to change the status quo. We also know from amazing research that was done by the Clean Air Fund that these targets that government is committed to achieving by 2040 could be achieved by 2030, almost only by actually delivering all the schemes and policies and delivering the funding that has already been promised. Interesting. So we could bring this forward. It would need a bit more effort for some areas of London, mm. but broadly that could be achieved a decade earlier. Mm. And so, these kind of measures would be things like? Well, I mean, there's an element on industry where mm -hmm. things need to happen. Mm -hmm. There would be stuff about driving, but it's a broad raft of measures that would have to happen. But they have already been promised by government. Mm -hmm. So if government just held their promise, we would be getting very close to them. I appreciate these are still the outdated ones, mm. but the outdated ones in 2030 is significantly closer to the new ones than the outdated ones yeah. by 2040. And just, just to be clear, I'm totally with you and I totally understand that. I guess I was making possibly a slightly abstract observation on politics is that going into an, a, a general election where we were disappointed so let's say this government has not followed on with more stringent measures for, for air pollution going into a general election the the labor party to net just to name them don't seem to be wanting to be seen as any more extreme in any way so labor and wales have just decided to cancel all new road building plans I suspect the Tories are calling them part of the anti-growth coalition. I suspect the Labour Party in this <laughs> I country... About them. <laughs> yeah. We're all part of that, though, no? Well, I suspect the Labour Party in <laughs> yeah. this country will try and distance themselves from that situation and say, actually, no, we're going to build more votes mm. um, because yeah. we, you know, because everyone's going after the Nis Nissan Qashqai owning vote uh, yeah. in, a, in a kind of... Yeah. Because that's an aspiration on an individual level yeah. so i didn't want to kind of make it seem no. like i was against that but from a political reality i'm not sure any party wants to take this on oh, no, but the most I... depressing person I've... sorry <laughs> <laughs> but i think my he understanding is, yeah. is that labor has been relatively clear that there would be a clean air act if they were in power but yes i do think there are risks and part of our lobbying with mums for lungs we've decided we clearly need to focus on the Labour Party, because we think the that likelihood is, is they'll be they'll be forming well from this yeah, the next and, government. And frankly, we've not been very successful with the Tories. So right. you know, like, mm. might as well change tack and try something mm. new. But people want clean air. This is the thing. It's like yeah. 
people don't want to breathe awful air. Politicians may be afraid of the headlines, but ultimately, yeah. people want like people want but, safer cycling. People you know don't want to b- want breathe crappy stuff. air. But, but I don't think that the understanding of that is is what the difference it makes. One of the air pollution people, I think it was Gareth Fuller, one of the most renowned researchers, said recently the problem was that air pollution doesn't give you purple skin with green spots mm. because if that were the case everyone would be like oh my god this is disgusting yeah come back and, to the invisibility issue. Yeah, yeah and i you know i always think if four thousand people in london died every year from drinking tap water like thames water mm. will be would be closed within weeks mm. but this is also the absurdity because this is breathing we have to breathe more frequently than we have out. to drink we yeah. can never opt out but you can usually wait for a glass of water mm. can't opt out of breathing for even half an hour but yet it sort of feels like this invisibility issue saying that i also feel like sometimes we're all a bit naive when we talk about invisibility because i mean i don't know about you but when i spend a day in central London with my kids we go home we all wash our hands twice Mm -hmm. and what comes off our hands is grey dirt so if that's not off our hands like I mean I appreciate some of it is from touching banisters but the rest of it is just gritty air Mm -hmm. and I presume the equivalent is in our lungs Mm -hmm. well it is at least a little bit reassuring that there are organisations like yours fighting the good fight so I appreciate everything that you guys are doing and scaling that nationally uh, and if well. our listeners would like to support you they do that how they, they yes please get in touch via our website mumsforlungs.org great thank you very much Jemima it's nice to have um, a German correspondent as well from my perspective uh, just to remind us all about how <laughs> far behind our European neighbours we seem to lag which is excellent to hear um, um, uh, thanks very much for covering Jemima um, you've been listening to Streets Ahead. Our editor has been Claire Mansell. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead. Rate us, review us, and share the podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Despite Adam's depressing contribution in this in this episode, at least Sorry. I'm sure you'll be upbeat in the next one. I'll try. <laughs> uh, from me, Ned Bolting, it's goodbye. And from me, Laura Laker, it's goodbye. Adam Transer, goodbye. Bye bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.